assessments. Some people love them. They can tell you what their Enneagram number is, what their Myers-Briggs letters are, what color they are, what letter they are on the disc. Assessments are often used in teams and in individual coaching relationships to give a quick snapshot of someone's general trends, characteristics, and a sense of values, things that they express are important to them. And assessments are also big business. The Enneagram in itself has become kind of a language that people learn to speak. There are books and seminars, there are experts, there are all kinds of training courses and products that you can purchase in order to, you know, better understand yourself and your team, your family. I want to talk a little bit today about assessment because I've been in a couple of coaching engagements lately where assessments have featured prominently in the conversation. And um, I definitely had some concerns about the ways that assessments were used. I will say that as a clinical psychologist, we have a fairly significant amount of training in how to administer and interpret and give feedback around psychological testing. So I come to this conversation with some training in psychometrics and quite a bit of experience working with psychological tests. Psychological tests, of course, have a higher bar of scientific rigor and interpretive rigor. That's because uh, if you use a psychological test to, I don't know, give someone an IQ number or to give them a diagnosis, that that information often follows them in their educational trajectory or becomes part of their medical record, for example. Some of the psychological testing that I used was used to determine whether someone qualified for disability status within the Veterans Administration or whether their distress as a result of something that happened at work could qualify them for workers' compensation. So the stakes are pretty high with psychological tests, which is, of course, uh, quite different than how personality or vocational strengths-based assessments are used, but maybe not as different as it should be. Let's dive deep into the topic of assessment. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. I thought I would start off by telling the story of three assessment interactions that I've had in the last couple of weeks. The first was an experience where I am working with my own coach who's helping me get my business a little bit more organized and is helping me just understand my strengths and weaknesses as a human, but also as a business owner. So, hey, yeah, I drink from the uh, Kool-Aid too. So in the context of my work with my coach, she asked me to take two assessments. One is the Enneagram and one is the Colby. And these are both very commonly used tools within the coaching relationship. She sent me the test, I filled them out, I got a written report, and then I had an hour scheduled, one hour for each test with two different individuals who were experts in that specific test. So one hour focused on the Enneagram, one hour focused on the Colby. I had the chance to ask a lot of questions about how the test functions, how it's created, what the results mean, the limitations of the results. And generally I found the information to be super helpful. 
So for those of you who speak Enneagram, I am a strong Enneagram 7, which is an enthusiastic visionary, which has helped me understand why I am often tired when it comes to administrative days, why I love working one-on-one with founders. I love jumping in and doing the work, but I get a little bit drained or I get a little bit sort of bogged down when I'm doing the administrative parts of running my business. And there were some really helpful bits of feedback about that assessment. One thing that the assessor pointed out is the tendency that I have, which I find to be very true, is that when I'm in a difficult decision, I ask a lot of feedback. I do a lot of research. I sort of do a lot of external checking in for information, data, and opinions. And I get a little flooded, I should say, with all that information. And so for me, based on this Enneagram, her recommendation was that I, when I'm forced to make a major decision, I really take some time alone and think it through by myself first before reaching out for all these other sources of data, which can potentially kind of distract and bog me down. So super helpful, practical tip really resonated with me. And I think the uh, the reason that that worked so well is that the person who was doing my feedback really had a lot of expertise and a lot of training, had seen lots of Enneagrams before, and engaged with me in a back and forth dialogue to help adjust the report to some of the context from which I was coming. So it felt very specific to me based on a, an interactive listening process. So it was positive. It was helpful. Two thumbs up. A second little mini interaction that I had with testing was one of the companies that I work with. I work with every member of the leadership team. And as part of their company retreat, they did a little values assessment and they shared their findings with every member of the leadership team. And so the six of them sort of looked at all the findings and noticed some trends, noticed how some of them had inverted values, you know, whether they value sort of people over tasks and processes. And that clear representation of these inverted values, I think helped the members of the team have some pretty neutral, meaningful discussion about, huh, this is why we don't often see eye to eye about the priorities within our company is that as individuals, we are coming to these conversations with very different sets of values. And so the test created the possibility for this neutral conversation that observed differences. And I keep using the word neutral because I think good assessments are simply descriptive. They simply say, you're left-hand dominant, you're right-hand dominant. It's not a value judgment around which one is better. It's simply a description looking in a mirror, so to speak, that gives you the sense of reflective feedback about where you lean and what your tendencies are. And when that's done really well, it gives teams this wonderful language to say, oh yeah, you kind of lean towards this tendency and I lean towards that tendency, whether it's introversion or extroversion, whether it's task orientation or people orientation. On a team, you can clearly see how each of those different components has some value. But by sharing a very simple graphic with a group of people, it allowed them to quickly identify similarities and differences and have a a meaningful dialogue about it. And I also thought that was a really excellent sort of use of this kind of testing. No one was drawing deep conclusions. No one was saying, oh, you're really task oriented. Therefore, you shouldn't be in the people ops team. Like they were just talking about, oh, you see the world this way. I see it that way. This is important to keep in mind when we're trying to make decisions together that we come from different perspectives. 
Okay, my third experience of assessment in the last couple of weeks was not so positive. And I tell this story not to rag on anyone or be critical of another professional, but I do tell the story because I think it was very, very problematic. And I think that it sort of shows the ways that assessment can be done really improperly and in ways that can even be kind of damaging. And I want people who are listening to be savvy consumers of assessment. So if you're going to have a coach come in and do some testing with your team, I want you to know how it should be done and what it looks like when it's done poorly. So this not so great assessment experience happened in the context of my own mastermind group. There are six of us in the group, three men, three women, and we are spread between three countries. So this assessment was done. It was five different tests. And the person who came to do the feedback is somebody who has really extensive experience in assessment. I don't think has any formal training in psychometrics or statistics or test administration interpretation, but has been doing it for a very long time and certainly has worked with some really high profile folks. So it was definitely presented to the group as as highly trustworthy, highly professional. So each of us did our five assessments separately. And then in our group call, this expert came in and was giving feedback to each of us individually. So one of the challenges right off the bat is that this feedback session, according to the person who was giving the feedback, typically is done in two hours. That is a pretty deep dive. And he was doing it with each of us in 15 minutes. So I got to say right away, I have a, a really big issue with that because if we are to take assessment seriously, if we are to say that these tests, these tools matter, they say something real and legitimate about us. And if we're to take seriously the nature of our own values, our own inclinations, our own intuitions, our own trends, if we really care about this process, which I do, I think it's pretty unconscionable to rush it to reduce something from two hours to 15 minutes. It feels a little bit to me like, you know, a doctor who's going in to do some exploratory surgery, but is like, well, we were kind of rushed. So we didn't really look at this area in your lungs. And, you know, we, we just did want this one little section and here's, here's the quick feedback about it. We, we think it's okay. Just read the report. I'm like super not okay with that. (laughs) There was no time for any meaningful discussion. There was no context There was no meaningful ability to ask questions. And these were tests that used language that can be, I think, easily misunderstood. So for example, one of the indices measured your level of anal retentiveness. Um, Another one used the phrase anger and was assessing like, so this is, is the disc or a version of the disc, which the D in the disc usually stands for dominance. Uh, in this case, they modified the disc to talk about anger as the dominant or driving force in one's personality. And language is always difficult when we're talking about psychological trends and certainly when we're talking about assessment, which is why it's really important and really helpful to spend a lot of time unpacking the language to make sure that the language of anger, of control, of submission, of anal retentiveness, of things that are not neutral stimuli, words that are not neutral. We need time to unpack it, to ask questions and to really understand what the testing means. Context does matter to these tests. And when someone is giving feedback, their ethical responsibility is to understand enough of the individual context to be able to make their recommendations and findings appropriate to the person. 
And feedback should be comprehensive. It shouldn't be rushed. There shouldn't be a lot of doubt or confusion. It shouldn't, we shouldn't skip around. I feel like a rushed through poorly done assessment session is like worse than us just not doing it. Like if you're not going to do it right, don't do it. So don't cram into 15 minutes something that would normally take two hours. There's a reason that it takes two hours. The other components about this experience that, that really bothered me is that there wasn't much discussion of the limitations of testing. I think that this assessment was kind of almost presented as a party trick. Like, hey, look how accurate this is. Look how I can nail you in 15 minutes and I can make these grand deep observations about who you are and where you're going in the world. And again, I take issue with that because it's not a party trick. It's feedback about who someone is and what they want and what their direction is for their business and their life. And the tests that were administered are simply not powerful enough to be predictive. They are not powerful enough to be the basis of major decisions. And that was never discussed in the feedback session. I feel like any good science-based assessor will say, hey, here are the ways that this is potentially wrong. Here are the limitations of this. Some of our most robust tests, the tests that have been given for the longest amount of time to the most people, things like IQ tests, still have major limitations in how accurate and applicable they are to different cultural populations. Many tests, especially in the business world, are still normed with white men. And that doesn't mean that they're useless, but that does mean they're limited. So anyone who is really thinking about assessment from an ethical perspective has the responsibility to, to call that out, to highlight that and to explain that. Instead, in this case, the person giving feedback said, oh, these tests are like 84% accurate. And there was no clarity about what that meant. The assessor also implied that these tests can be used to make hiring decisions or move people around within an organization. And I, once again, take really significant issue with that because these tests are not robust enough to determine people's futures, to determine people's job opportunities. So if you are running a company and you are considering using assessment, you better be really clear that you don't use a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram or a DISC assessment to decide on who to hire or exactly where to put them. These assessments are for conversation. They help people move into better job fit, of course, but they should never be used unilaterally. They should only be integrated with lots of other pieces of data that give more information about context and real life functioning. The other really problematic, from my perspective, thing about this assessment experience is that our mastermind group had no time to talk about it. Ideally, this would have been something that would have really helped us get to know each other in a deeper way, would have given us some language about how we're similar and how we're different, would have helped us to have kind of deeper conversations about how we see the world and what we value. But in fact, none of that was possible because it was this very fast information dump with very limited time for meaningful conversation, either between the person receiving the feedback and the assessor or between the members of the group who were listening to each of this feedback about all of our colleagues. The last thing that really bugged me, and then I will be done with my soapbox, is that the assessor did not use neutral language. He said things like, 
oh, this is a really good score, or this is the best score of the day. And while I appreciated his passion and enthusiasm for the conversation and for the assessment tools that he was using, the top of every reputable assessment measure and the top of every reputable assessment feedback report says something like, there is no wrong answer. (laughs) There's no wrong way to be. And this language doesn't exist purely to um, minimize the likelihood that someone is going to feel bad or self-critical about their feedback. This is actually important ethical language because assessment is supposed to be an algorithm. It's a statistical process. It is not a human-led evaluative experience. It's computer pattern matching. Your responses are matched against other people's responses and grouped together. In psychological assessment, value-neutral, sometimes intentionally tentative language is an ethical imperative because it's true to the nature of the exercise. You clicked some boxes on a computer. Those box clicks got matched with other people's box clicks and it spit out a report. It doesn't have true bearing over your value and ability as a human. And it's because professionals, psychologists like me, have such high regard for feedback. It's because we think it's really important and it should be done really well that we have a commitment to making it neutral, to making it something to consider, to making it suggestive, not directive. Because when it comes to humans, context is king. And to say that this report holds the the ultimate concrete truth about you and it's good or bad or here's your personal limitations and personal weaknesses, I frankly think is unethical and ill-informed. So in summary, if you're going to use assessment, either as an individual or with your team, do it well. Give it appropriate time. Make sure that any feedback is comprehensive and is context-specific. Make sure that people have the opportunity to ask as many questions as they want about what their assessment means and make sure that the limitations of assessment are clearly explained. And if you're using this in a team context, make very clear how this information will be used. That is not for hiring and firing and moving and job opportunities. It's merely a tool of conversation to help people find the best fit for them in the workplace. Make sure that assessment is always treated lightly with some neutrality and with a deep appreciation for the limitations of the process. It should be fun and conversational. It shouldn't feel like someone is giving you a word dump about things that you don't quite understand, but that are directed at you. If you don't have the time and resources to do it well, just take the strengths finder. Read the book. That's helpful and robust. And that is usually sufficient for a great conversation on a team. I'll be honest, I didn't, I, I don't use a lot of assessment myself in my work at this point. And one of the reasons is because I didn't love my psychometrics classes. I didn't love the deep level of assessment statistics. And I feel like if I'm not going to be someone who really understands the nitty gritty, then I don't really have business using assessment measures. So frankly, I hold myself to a pretty high bar because as a psychologist, That is the ethical imperative of my guild. And 
I am not someone who thinks that human wisdom is just housed among people who have PhDs. You will never hear me disparaging the wisdom or contributions of, of coaches or of people who have maybe less academic training than I do, but do a similar thing. I think there are lots of fantastic folks out there. In fact, my own coach has experience as a CEO, but not as a psychologist or therapist. She doesn't have academic training in this topic. But one advantage of the academic training, not only, you know, beyond the statistical skills, but is the deep conversations about ethics. And I think it's easy to hang a shingle and pass out assessments, but it's not that easy to do it well. So I hope that after listening to this largely uh, soapboxy diatribe, you will know the difference and be able to have positive experiences for yourself and for your team. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.